Welcome to episode seven of the Inside Nutley podcast. I'm your host, Tom Greco, and I'm pleased to be joined by Township of Nutley Municipal Judge Alan Genetempo. Welcome, Judge. Hello, Tom. How are you? Good. Thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Before we get some background, can you tell us what some of the municipal judge responsibilities are? Sure. Uh, the responsibilities include everything from parking tickets to assault cases, drug cases, um, uh, DUI, um, even uh, restraining orders. At night, I can get a call late at night, 2.30, 3.30 in the morning from a police officer asking me to conduct a hearing with a victim of a, of a domestic violence incident to, to determine whether I should enter a temporary restraining order or not, whether I should issue a search warrant for weapons, uh, things of that nature. We get calls all the time, uh, middle of the night, they've arrested somebody that we have a warrant on, you know, can I release them? Do they have to hold them? Uh, you know, I issue warrants based on complaints for assault um, or things that occur outside the normal court hours uh, down in the Superior Court in, in uh, Newark, which is, you know, 8.30 to 4. Municipal court judges are on basically 24-hour call uh, after 4 o'clock every day until 8.30 in the morning. Uh, so we get all those calls. Um, you know, I tried a DUI case last week. I probably try one tomorrow uh, in, in another town. I also cover in other towns if needed. Uh, but it's a very interesting uh, job, and there's a lot of. We even do zoning cases where people don't maintain their property, uh, maintain their properties, um, all all those kind of things, from the town ordinance to motor vehicle violations to state criminal codes. Uh, we we seek to uh, handle all those matters. And where does it? I think it's uh, most people get a little bit confused how the jurisdiction is handled. Uh, for example, what determines whether or not someone goes before you or before they go to Essex, in front of Essex County? Is it the, the time of day? Sure. Well, it, it depends. So, for example, anything that's a fourth degree crime or higher automatically goes to the county, depending on the severity of the crime. If it's theft, if it's over a certain amount, it goes to the county. If it's a disorderly person's offense, it, we handle it in the municipal court. So anything from disorderly persons down we handle in municipal court. A lot of times, a case that comes out as a indictable or a fourth degree crime goes to the county and then they downgrade it and send it back to the municipality as a disorderly person's offense. So that that's kind of how it goes. All traffic is handled in municipal court, all parking, all local uh, zoning violations or ordinance violations stay in the town. But anything that's a crime, that's fourth, third, second, or obviously first degree, would, would go right to the county for the prosecutor to review. And once the prosecutor reviews it, he or she can then send it back down or keep it at the county, depending on the seriousness. So let's say, for example, there's a fight. Okay, Generally, a fight would be considered a disorderly person's offense and would could be in the municipal court. However, let's say some one person fell, hit their head on the curb, and suffered a, a, a fracture of the skull. Now, with the seriousness of the injury, that can become a fourth, third, or second degree crime and would then be reviewed by the prosecutor's office. And then they would determine what happened. With it. So that's kind of how the jurisdiction goes. They handle all matters between 8.30 and 4 when it comes to their matters. But let's say at 3 o'clock in the morning, the police get a call that a husband assaulted a wife or a wife assaulted a husband, 
and they want a restraining order, then they want to file a complaint. The complaint, if there's physical injury, is going to go to the county, but we would have to handle the restraining order part of it. So I would actually conduct a hearing on the phone, swearing in the victim, uh, asking them questions to determine whether or not there's what's called a predicate criminal act that gives reason to file a domestic violence restraining order. And that would be all the municipal judges in the state would handle those between four o'clock and 8.30 in the morning every day and all 24 hours on the weekends, to a Saturday and Sunday. So it's a lot of time that you know uh, is involved. It's not just the court sessions. Uh, we do spend a lot more time on it than people think. I think a lot of people like myself, unfortunately, uh, get their idea of, of what a judge does through uh, TVs or movies. Uh, is it like that? You know, sometimes it actually is. You know, I, I'm sitting in, on the bench now and I, I'll hear somebody say something and it'll remind me of something I heard or saw on TV. You know, even you know, even the My Cousin Vinny stuff makes you makes everyone laugh. But, you know, as a lawyer, as a trial lawyer, I've used lines from Seinfeld, you know, from My Cousin Vinny in front of a jury. And, you know, and, and it just sort of naturally happens. Um, and, and people laugh and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, a little bit of levity is not inappropriate. Uh, but no, it, it is a lot like TV in, in certain ways. We obviously, municipal court, we don't have juries. You know, we're, we don't have juries. It's not, it's not those kind of cases. Um, but, you know, people, we send people to jail. Uh, a lot of them here may require a jail sentence. So those are very serious matters. You're going back to jurisdiction. If, if someone, say, uh, commits a crime, robs a house, and jumps on Route 21, the Nutley police follow him and they go down through Belleville, through Newark, and finally he's caught. Are you responsible for that, that jurisdiction? Yeah, I mean, forgetting for the moment the level of crime, if it happens in Nutley, the jurisdiction is in Nutley. So the Nutley police would do the arrest, the Nutley police would process them. If it's a fourth degree or an indictable offense, it would go to the county. They would take the person directly to the county jail and then await a hearing by a, uh, you know, a state court judge. So if it happens in Nutley, it gets charged in Nutley, but it could ultimately get sent to Newark to the Superior Court. No matter where the, they end up being arrested, it comes back. No matter to where they end up being arrested, correct. Interesting. All right, let's let's venture away a little bit. Um, uh, were you born in Nutley? You know, it's, I was born in, in Passaic uh, General Hospital, uh, but I've obviously spent most of my life in Nutley, living in Nutley, uh, since I think I was five years old. My parents. When, you know, they were living in an apartment and then they finally bought a house in Heatherington Road when I was uh, just starting uh, first grade. Where were, where were you living before Nutley? My, my parents actually had their first house in Union Beach, New Jersey. And it's funny because, you know, people ask me, why do you get involved in so many things? You know, I've been on the Board of Ed. I've been, my mother was on the Board of Ed in Union Beach and my father was in the fire department as a volunteer fireman. We live right across the street from the firehouse. So as a little kid, I actually saw my parents getting involved in the community, which you know I think has always stuck with me. Um, we only lived there a few years, I think maybe three years, maybe four years, because that's the only house they could afford at the time, you know. Uh, and then they ultimately got saved up enough money to buy a house in Nutley where they wanted to go. And you know, we were here ever since. What uh what are some of your favorite memories of growing up in Nutley? I mean, that was that was a, a really cool time in the sixties and seventies. Oh man, Nutley was, what a great place. I mean, 
first of all, I grew up on a cul-de-sac. My parents had a house on a cul-de-sac off of River Road. And we lived in the corner of a cul-de-sac. So it was like wide world of sports every single day, you know, after school or during the weekends. The circle was kickball, wiffle ball, uh, heaven. We paint the bases in the streets, all the kids in the neighborhood. Every night, the parents, especially in the summer with the nice weather, would sit on a different porch in the circle and have coffee at night while the kids were playing in the street. You know, we had a pool and all the kids would be in our pool. Um, growing up in Little League over in the national field, playing football. I think for your uncles, I played you know, midget football or junior Raider football. And then baseball has always been a big part of my life. And playing high school baseball was, you know, an absolute thrill and something that I never forget. It was so much fun. Uh, but Nutley, you know, for me has always been like a rock. You know, we, I kid everybody. I say Nutley's the center of the universe. And it always turns out that somebody knows someone from Nutley, no matter where you go in the state of New Jersey, someone knows someone from Nutley. And it's, it's pretty funny, you know, but now, you know, I remember my mother throwing, piling the kids in the station wagon, dropping kids off after practice or taking kids places, you know, you know, we did Cub Scouts, we did all that stuff. It was just, you know, a great place that you could walk outside your house, you don't have to worry about anything. Um, just, just to really, you ride your bike to the store, you know, your parents would give you money, you'd go to the store for them. Nobody worried about, you know, getting robbed or not that that happens now. Nelly still is like that, but I mean, the way the society is today, no one wants to let their kids go out of their sight, right? We used to go everywhere on our bikes. Nobody cared. You know, not that they didn't care, but we could go anywhere. It wasn't a problem. I just think society in itself, but Nelly is still a lot like that. I see the kids all around, but you know, we could walk to school. We didn't have to get a get bus. It was great. You know, that's one of the advantages of Nutley for sure. I remember. Well, I, I mean. You and I first met in Little League, actually, National Little League, um, opposing teams, of course, and I think we always beat you, but we won't go into that. <laughs> I had to go to the record books on that. No, because I remember you and your brother Johnny were on uh, our third half, and uh, Johnny's, I think you're younger than me. You're, what are you, two years younger than, than I am? I'm two years. Yeah, I'm two years younger than you. So we always thought, always thought that, you know, like there was, at that point, there was two other leagues in town, and we always thought we were the best, and we wore that <laughs> on our sleeve, right? Exactly. Until they kicked our butts in uh, in the All Stars, usually. But yeah, usually the American League always kicked our butts. <laughs> it's just amazing now, what fifty years later, that me that memory is so so ingrained in your in your mind. It's those kinds of things that you remember growing up that you never forget, especially in a town like Nutley. True. I mean, not much has changed really. When you look around town, I don't really see a lot. I mean, there's a lot of improvements, and you know, the town has done a lot of beautiful fields and. Parks are great and, you know, they're better conditioned than they ever were. But when we got them, they were better than they were the years before. I mean, the uh, Owens Field was a quarry, right? It turned out to be the best fields clearly in town. One of the most used. We, we, we were on that field all the time, right? And and 30 years before us, it was a quarry. So, you know, everything changes, but it, it really hasn't changed, in my mind, that dramatically. As you've mentioned, sports have always been an important part of your life. I know that you played high school baseball. What are some of your fondest memories from that time? For not Lehigh. Yeah, I mean, I also played some basketball, but I only played a few years, you know, at my height. It wasn't really an advantage. But um, high school baseball, I mean, especially playing with some of my best friends that I'm still best friends with, you know, the Gene Amors and the Guyvers and, 
And so I, you know, we had a reunion, uh, our 40th reunion the, a couple months ago. And a lot of guys from the team were there and it's just so much fun. We, we weren't very good. Honestly, we were not, we were playing with 500 team, but and we had Carmen Lemma as our coach and he was so much fun. The memories that good and bad that he gave us are in, in, emblazoned on my mind. And I'll never forget those years. It doesn't matter whether they're good or bad. They're, they're going to always be remembered. And that's what, that's what, you know, anybody that's played sports in Nutley, anybody, not me, not me, has those kind of memories. You know, Joe Scarpelli always says, it's not about the wins. It's about your teammates, right? You'll always remember your teammates. You won't remember what games you won or lost, you know, unless you have a superior, you know, championship team. It's it's your teammates that you'll have forever. And he's right about that. About it. That's really what it's all about. And uh, I we was re- I was really blessed to be able to play. You know, my brother John played football. My brother Stephen played baseball. You know, we all had that that uh, that experience, which uh, we'll never forget. Right? I, I, and I think that's another thing that that those of us have gone through Nutley growing up and, and, and through the school system. It wasn't only the coaches, it was the teachers. There was always, you know, you always had at least one or two teachers that would, you know, to this day, 40, 50 years later, you still remember the effect and the things that you said, whether good or bad, they taught you a life lesson in some way or shape that has stayed with us for decades later. I mean, what more could you ask from, a, from a, a, you know, growing up in something like that? I mean, we had some amazing teachers in the high school i don't mean to just focus on sports but high school you know you talk about a brian mcginley teaching ancient history you know and parsiac and dr fusello you know fantastic history you know the math department and toby dambo and all those guys uh you know and you know it's just you know they, they they're 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 superior people you know they're all retired now of course and I remember being on the board of bed and Brian McGinley was retiring and I begged him. I said, look, I don't have a lot of authority, but is there any way we can get you to teach one class, you know, like it was in college. And he said, you know, Alan, it's time to go. But uh, now we, the, the, the academics were just as important, you know, probably more important and, you know, help me get into college, you know, get into a good college. So, so where'd you go to college? So I went to Seton Hall uh, University in South Orange. Uh, major in uh, sociology and criminal criminal justice, with a minor in English. Um, that I graduated in '84 from there. Did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer? I gotta say, since probably middle school, I wanted to be a lawyer, and uh, I'm not sure what why and what got me to think that way, but I was kind of focused on that from from that point. I I probably should have majored in something else in hindsight. Um, you know, I think I could have been pointed a little bit more in the right direction, but I, I it ended up working out for me okay. So, Seton Hall is a great university. It's a great place to have gone to uh, the college to. And then law school, where did you go? So I went to New York Law um, in, in downtown Manhattan, the New York Law School. It's probably the oldest law school in New York, uh, one of the law, oldest in the country. It's over, I think it's right now over 160 years old. Um, and it's funny, when I was in college, you know, when I, before college, I worked at Washington Pharmacy in Nutley, which was my parents' friends. And when I was in college, I worked there. And I've always worked while you're in, in college. You know, you got to pay your own pay your own way. Parents were not wealthy or you know, had a lot of money. And uh, when I went to college, I worked at a law firm that my aunts worked at. They got me a job at a law firm. 
And I was, you know, I do everything from answer the phones to do deliveries to do document productions. Like even I would, I would be the guy who would fix things, you know, cause they knew I could fix things. Um, and I really learned a lot and I would go back and forth to scene hall up to 80 and back, you know, every, every day, uh, during college. And I, I earned money and I, I learned a lot. And, um, and one of the, one of the attorneys there was a professor there and he, he got me interested in New York law and he got me, uh, he helped me get accepted. I mean, I, I applied and I, you know, I got accepted to a few law schools and I decided I wanted to go there. I wanted to be admitted in New York, in New Jersey. I wanted to have it, the opportunity to be admitted in both. And that's why I picked New York over everybody else. So, so you graduated law school. Did you immediately get hired by Pyrozina? So when I was in law school, I was working at Pyrozina when they were on Franklin Avenue as a law clerk. So we would do writing and search for the for the lawyers. And uh, I knew right away that I wanted to stay there as an attorney. And when I graduated in 87, I went to a clerkship in the State County Superior Court in, uh, before a Judge Salerno for a year. So you basically work for the courts. You're an employee of the court. And then once you get done for that year, then you look for a job. At the time, you know, Mr. Pyro, Jim Pyro, has been my mentor since I've been in the law profession. Um, asked me to uh, obviously gave me a job offer and I've been here ever since. So, um, you know, that's, that was 1988 and I got married that same year. So it was, it was a big year for me. Um, but yeah, that's how it all got started. And what year did you become a partner? Five years later in 92, I became a partner, um, 92, 93. And, uh, you know, at the time it was uh, Jim Pyro, Frank Zinna, Andy Cefeli, Dave Harris, and John Grywer at the time. You remember Mr. Grywer. And then I was the, the fifth partner, and we had uh, a couple associates. And now we've grown, you know, uh, John passed away, but we've grown to 13 lawyers now. We're right still here in Nutley. We do a lot, a lot of different things. And, um, you know, we got a great group. No one, no one really leaves here, you know. Uh, they don't leave. Uh, you know, Jim Pyro is going to be 80 years old. He's still practicing. Any memorable cases that come to mind? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, probably my most was the case involving Andrea Bocelli, um, where I had to go to Italy to take his deposition um, with my client. My client, who was another person, I won't say names, of course, was one of the people most responsible for bringing Andrea Bocelli to North America. Andrea Bocelli is one of the most famous opera singers in the world. He lives in Italy, he's from Italy, as you see now, his son and daughter sing with him. And, uh, you know, at the time he was well known in Europe, but he wasn't very well known in the United States. So our client, was very, uh, who was Italian, spoke Italian, had a lot of contacts in Italy, uh, made a, a, a joint venture with some other partners to bring him here. And once he started coming to the United States and North America, he exploded. And my client was one of the four partners and he felt that he was getting his it wasn't getting his fair share so he filed the lawsuit against the other partners and it ended up you know Andrea Bocelli was in the middle of all of it and we had to go to Italy to take his deposition and uh it was quite quite a scene I actually have the transcript in my office so no one will no one can say I'm not I'm not telling the truth about it um but it was it was a very memorable moment and we ended up winning in that case and uh was very uh, uh, beneficial to my client, but and I've seen Andrea Bocelli afterwards. My 
my wife's cousin actually played for him in Carnegie Hall, played piano for him. Maybe about eight years ago, we went to see him, and uh, I got to got to meet him again. But uh, it was quite that was quite probably my most interesting thing. I tried the case for a month in Essex County. It was a month long trial against the other partners, and uh, we played Andrea's uh, deposition as part of the case. It was quite quite interesting. But I'd say that's probably my most no, 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 notorious case that I. That I've ever had, but we've had some fun. Did he remember you? No, no way. <laughs> I was gonna say you were gonna get comp tickets, that's for sure. Well, I yelled, I yelled at him during the deposition, and um, because when I'd ask him a question, it had to be translated, even though I think he understands English quite well, but had to be translated. And then his his brother and his lawyer, and he had three lawyers, and they were whispering in his ear before each answer. And finally, I just had enough, and I got mad, and I said, "Hey, wait a minute! I just threw three thousand, flew three thousand miles to take your deposition, not his, not his, and not hers. I want your answers." Oh, they all started yelling at me in Italian, and uh, we took a break. And my client went out and started yelling at Andrea Bocelli about he better start answering, you know, truthfully. And oh my God, it was it was hysterical. And once he came back, it worked. He started answering my questions. And uh, it ended up going okay after that. But, you know, I never forget that. I thought I was going to, I don't know if I was going to make it out of it somehow, but. So when did you decide to become involved in government? Um, you know, it's, it's funny because I remember in, college, in law school, I was uh, on the like student council. And um, I had always been involved in a lot of town issues. Like I was on the juvenile conference committee and I was, uh, running the senior baseball league and I was coaching and I was always tried to be involved even before I was married and before I had kids and all that. And then once I started working here, I saw how involved my partners were in, you know, politics and town businesses. And we had a lot of clients that were governmental clients and I became interested, you know, very much and uh, started working on campaigns and uh, remember working on commissioner's campaigns and uh, freeholders, and we would work on governor's campaigns. We really did a lot. Uh, we were then we formed a, with a couple guys in town. We uh, joined the Young Republicans Club, and we started, you know, doing that and getting more involved from that. And then I ultimately ran for uh, board of education. I uh, I was elected in two thousand and one, um, and uh, you know, very very rewarding. And so I've always had this, you know, experience with municipal government and state government. It sort of became a natural, you know, progression for me. What year did you become the township's attorney? Uh, well, first I was a uh, prosecutor in 2002, and I had that job for a little over 10 years. I think 2013, unfortunately, our town attorney was sick at that time, very sick, and uh, he ended up passing away. So. When he was sick, I took over as town attorney. They asked me to become the town attorney. And I was doing actually both jobs for a very short period. And then um, they got a new prosecutor and I became the town attorney. 2000, I want to say 13. It was kind of like a over a period of time. And I became the full-time town attorney until this year when, I, when they uh, gave me the opportunity to be the judge. Quite a lot of big changes occurred while you were in that role. Which ones are were the most difficult? 
Um, I think the, the announcement that Roach was leaving um, really set so many things in motion, you know, not and I was in a positive way. And uh, it was a real challenge as a town attorney with, frankly, not a lot of experience as a town attorney. Um, and uh, there was a lot of learning on the fly, relying on people with more experience than I. But that was a real, you know, sort of a gut punch to Nutley. And at that time, it, and why, it was why the other town attorney was still involved. Kevin Harkins was, when he was getting sick, unfortunately, he was in the middle of that in the beginning. And I jumped right in and took over. And it was very, very uh, re rewarding, difficult at the same time. And I think the commissioners did everything they could uh, under the circumstances to, to come out with a good outcome. And I think they will and are, uh, but it was very difficult. It was, it was a tough, you know, town attorneys deal with so much that you sort of forget, you know, like we dealt with the, the first aid squad, right? It was always some type of an emergency, you know, that come that came up that you'd have to jump on and handle as best you could. And, being a lawyer with a firm like mine that has a lot of experience in different areas was very helpful because I always had someone to ask, someone to talk to. But um, it, it, there was a lot of things. Town of Nutley is a unique form of government with a commission form of government. And usually you would have a town administrator or town manager running the town for the council. Nutley doesn't have that. Most commission form of governments do not. And there's only maybe, I think there's seven or nine in the state still. It's a very effective way to govern because every commissioner is responsible directly to their own department. But it also sometimes has its challenges. And as an attorney, when you don't have a town administrator to rely upon, it's usually the town attorney and the clerk that has to deal with things that they would not otherwise deal with if there was a town manager. So that was a challenge, one I had to learn how to do. Um, but I got to work with really great commissioners and, you know, it was it was really a great time for me. Difficult, a lot of time spent, uh, a lot of time full time, but very rewarding, very interesting. I do miss the action a little bit from that end, but uh, I sleep a little better at night now, I think, than I did before. Is there one uh, project or incident that you're most proud of in that time? I think uh, yeah, I think being involved in the medical school. Uh, helping, you know, on a small scale of getting that going, being involved in those negotiations with, you know, as high up as the governor's office and heads of these industries that were giants, you know, in the business and the industry, you know, sitting at a meeting with the CEO of Hackensack Hospital uh, and and their and their you know brain trust, their fantastic doctors and and you know, sitting with them, negotiating with them, talking to them. Uh, dealing with the the, the, the high upset roach, um, and then of course the, the company that bought the the property, all the negotiations and all the meetings, all the time we spent, you know, I'd have to say was challenging yet very rewarding, um, and I think it'll be something that we would be proud of in, in the future, very much so, uh, when when this is finally finished, and it will get finished at some point. How does one become a municipal judge in Nutley? You got to know the mayor. <laughs> um, you got to be a lawyer, and you have to uh, uh, you have to be supported by the the, the public uh, agency, the public group, commissioners or council, whoever they are. And then, not only the mayor nominates uh, the judge, and the uh, commissioners vote on. 
and uh, you get a three-year term, and then they have to renew you after three years. So I'm on uh, my trial run, I guess. I'm finishing up Judge Cacciola's term, and then um, I think that's till 24, and then and then they'll have to decide if they're going to re reappoint me or not. But it's really a, a political appointment. As you said, you followed uh, the former judge, which is former mayor, Joanne Cacciola. Did she give you any advice? Uh, yeah. Um, one of the, the best pieces of advice she gave me was when you hear a case, make a decision and don't look back. You know, use your gut, use your, your knowledge, experience, but don't, don't overthink anything. Make your decision, put your decision out, and, they'll, and everyone will have to deal with it. As long as you do it to the best of your ability, you'll never have a problem. And I, I take that to heart because it's been, I really had to make some decisions, you know, that were somewhat heavy, heavy duty that affect people's lives. And uh, you just got to make them, you know, and the best of your ability. And, um, and so far, I think it's going okay. You've been in the role for less than a year. What's been your biggest challenge? Uh, the biggest challenge is post-pandemic. Um, how do I say this? Apathy sometimes to people towards the court system. I think, you know, in the, when I say the old days, when I was prosecuting in 2002 to 2013, you know, if you came to court, you were... Maybe you didn't have a suit on, but you wouldn't look like a slob. You wouldn't have a hat on. You know, you wouldn't be disrespectful. Now with Zoom, you know, people come on with hats and T-shirts. I can't tell you how many times already in the like 10, 12 months I've been doing this. People come on Zoom with no shirt on. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. No shirt. And I'm like, excuse me, do you have no shirt on? And they're like, oh, oh, is that is that a problem? I go, yeah, you're we're giving you the benefit of not having to come to court by, and you don't even want to put a shirt on. I mean, if you were in court, would you have a shirt on? And they'd say, well, yeah. I said, well, then put a shirt on. Like, I just feel that. And we're coming back into person now. More people, we were requiring more people that this is the director of courts, not me, to bring people back into the courtroom. So that's going to stop, you know, over time. I think the biggest challenge is, uh, 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 DUI cases, you know, they're very complicated. They can be, they have huge ramifications for people. Uh, the penalties have been lessened over the years for those defenders, but it's still a very significant thing. And there's a lot of it than I think there would be with Uber and Lyft and all those alternative ways of getting home. I can't, I can't believe still how many people get caught DUI. Um, but it, it, that's, that's it. I have a tremendous staff at the courthouse. Uh, four ladies who are amazing. They do a great job and um, they make it very easy for me. I just go on the bench and I, I get to do my thing and uh, they're really amazing. So that makes it very easy. So, Judge, are you ready to do some word association? Ready. All right. I'll say uh, a term or a few terms and I just give me what you first think of. Okay. Okay. Redevelopment. Necessary evil. No, difficult time, no, difficult thing for a small town like Millie, but if you don't move forward, you're, you can't stand still. You, you, you know, you have to, you have to progress. You have to raise taxes. You have to raise tax revenue, excuse me. And so the only way to do that is through development. And Nutley's got very limited space other than the Roach uh, property. 
now that ITT was developed. So um, I think it's important. It's just a very difficult thing for people to get used to. They don't like change. And I think, you know, we both remember when ITT moved out and and uh, and Cambridge Heights was being talked about and what we were. It's it's kind of deja vu because we're all like, oh, it's going to ruin the town. You know, we're all going to it's going to actually go through the roof. And really now nobody ever thinks about that anymore. It's 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 a nice little village down there. It's it's a beautiful village. Um, yeah. And it's it's added to the town. It really has. So I, I think people sometimes lose sight or or aren't aware or just they're accustomed to Cambridge Bridge always being there, Cambridge Bridge, Cambridge Heights always being there when it wasn't. And for those of us who, who lived through that, uh, that's a perfect example of what redevelopment can do to benefit the town. And it's had a, a usually positive effect on the tax rateables in, in Nutley. You know, um, if, I think if, if that development didn't get built, people in Nutley would be paying a lot more taxes than they're paying now. So. Jerry Tolvey. Uh, hard to say. So many things about him that go to my head. Uh, one of the f- basketball, basketball. I used to go to his house. You know, his brother and I are best friends, and I would he challenge me to a shooting contest, and he'd he'd give me twenty and play me to twenty one and beat me every time. Um, traveling to Wildwood, uh, just an awesome guy, but an awesome character, and you know. Very sad still about everything. Uh, think about him a lot, you know, a lot. For the small amount of people who don't know who Jerry is, how would you describe him with regard to Nutley? He's a Nutley icon. I mean, I think he needs to go into the Nutley Hall of Fame, honestly. I mean, he's played more events. Um, he's touched more lives than any one person, I think, really can. And uh, when they had the fundraiser for him at Nanina's, which they – they they couldn't they didn't have enough room for everybody. Um, someone said, "Raise your hand if Jerry ever played any event for you," and the entire place raised their hand, every single person. So, you know, if he's not in the Hall of Fame, I don't think he is. Because if he was, I would have been there. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And I need to talk to somebody about that. But um, he's really an icon, you know, a local icon. I don't know how else to to say it, really. It's agreed. I agree 100 percent. Overcrowded schools. A myth. I think that I've sat in on many meetings with demographers regarding school population. Um, The overcrowding in schools is not about the number of children. It's about the need for programs that are taking up square footage in the school. Um, And I've I've sat and heard professional demographers that the population is going to go down in the schools over the next 10 to 15 years. And you shouldn't necessarily, unless you're going to do a program change, have to worry about what's going on in the grammar schools particularly. I mean, I still think the work should be done to the middle school to bring the, the, the sixth grade there, which would open up a lot of room in the, in the grammar schools. But, but I think it's somewhat of a myth. And I think the issue of development causing overcrowding in schools, in my opinion, is based on me sitting in meetings with professionals, professional developers, professional uh, engineers and and planners who deal with this stuff every day, that you know there's no boogeyman in development that's gonna ruin the school system. That's what I believe. So I don't think it's a real, a real issue. Look, Tom, when you and I went to high school, 
I, my graduating class was almost 500. So was yours. Now it's 260, 270. How could that possibly be an overcrowded situation? You know, so that that's that's what I think. I mean, look, maybe the class sizes are much bigger, and you want to have small class sizes, of course. But I, I just don't think it's a real a real issue. I have to challenge you on one thing: the trailers aren't a miss. I don't like the trailers either. I'm not saying that that's an answer. I think that that there could be additions to the schools that are more permanent. Um, I hear funny kids like the trailers because they're air conditioned and the teachers like them because they're not that bad uh, to be in. But it, from an optics, it, it's not a good optic look. I agree, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, we, we've been through this. When I was town attorney, we met with the board of that a lot about this, about, about the referendums and about overcrowding and what it really means. And, you know, I think there are ways they can solve these problems. But, it's tough, you know, they put these referendums up and they don't get passed and then you're kind of left kind of standing still and then trailers are the only option at that point. And it's not, it's not, it's not the best situation. So I don't know if that's overcrowding or that's just the need for imposed programs that are taking up more classroom space. John Walker. John Walker, girls crying, I'll tell you why. When I was in sixth grade at Washington School, everyone couldn't wait to have John Walker as a teacher because he was at the Washington School. So when I was in sixth grade, that's when you, you, you change classes, right? You go to different teachers for different classes. And we go into his class. I'm, we're all so happy to finally get Mr. Walker, who's, again, another another icon. And he announces that he's leaving from the principal at Yanaqua School. Some of the, the girls in the class were crying. That's how upset they were. I don't want to say I was crying, but I was mad. He used to open up the gym for us at Washington School. You probably remember. And we could go down at night and play, gym, play in the gym. He could have been home with his family in Montclair. And he came down to Nutley to give us kids something to do. Um, my parents loved him, absolutely adored him. And uh, he was a great role model. Again, another icon that was sorely missed has been missed for many, many years now. And uh, I'm glad they named us the after. Judge Inatempo, thank you for spending this time with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. It's been a real pleasure. And so great to talk with you. Thank you. And good luck in your judgeship moving on. Thank you very much. I Bye -bye. appreciate it. Have a good night.